right. I said we're gonna have a good day. Hey. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. I'm Dr. Emily McRae. And I am Dr. Audra Rankin. We are educators, healthcare providers, and mothers who view the world as an unlimited learning opportunity. RISE is a podcast that highlights how we learn from the experiences and stories of others to create new perspectives that improve our own work. Listen with us, think with us, learn with us. And along the way, be inspired to rise up above your day-to-day. All right, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. This really shouldn't come as a surprise. Knock us down a thousand times in the mornings we will rise. Okay, shouldn't come as a surprise. Because every morning we will rise. Welcome to Rise with Emily and Audra. We are so excited to have Eden Bridgman's liner today and this is our spring break edition so we're all in different places you might hear dogs you might hear kids but Eden thank you so much for joining us and uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and just a little bit about yourself yeah no thank you both for having me so excited originally I was born in Los Angeles which I think is just a fun detail I love to share because I think it it shows a bit of my personality, just based upon that kind of little bit laid back, but Hollywood, you know, kind of glitz and glam aspect of saying that you were born in Los Angeles. But I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and proud of those kind of Southern roots that I was able to enjoy. Grew up there, went to university in Louisville. Like most, you say, all right, it's time for me to kind of spread my wings. And so I moved to Chicago to be able to start working uh, for my family business, met the love of my life, went to graduate school, and now residing in Columbus, Ohio, still working for my family business, um, but definitely in a very different capacity now. Eden, I'm so curious about your role in your family company. So you're the chief marketing officer of Manike. What exactly does your day-to-day look like in that role? Yeah, so as CMO, I am tasked with overseeing our marketing department, which our family business, as far as Mana Incorporated, we oversee and operate various restaurant brands throughout the U.S., Majority of restaurants underneath our portfolio fall into Wendy's, Fazoli's, Golden Corral, and kind of on from there. So I have a diverse teams kind of spread out between our home office in Louisville, Kentucky, to our office in Wisconsin. So my day-to-day is to execute and work with either corporate initiatives, because we're a franchisee for a number of those brands, as well as having independence underneath our portfolio as well. But it's to take the corporate plans as far as marketing that, say, Wendy's is going to put out, whether it's their new Frosty campaign to maybe some local restaurant marketing that they would like us to try to implement, as well as coming up with our own initiatives and programs centered around driving sales and traffic. I'd say as CMO for restaurants, that is my Number one goal of how do I drive more sales, more traffic into our restaurants? So based upon the brand, 
we use different tactics and my team executes those plans each day. Eden, that's impressive. I can't imagine all the different hats that you're juggling in that role. And you also, what I've been reading is that you're the owner of Ebony and Jet and recently oversaw the relaunch of Ebony Magazine. So I'm really impressed by all of your work. You're doing so many different things. Um, And I don't know, quite frankly, how you're doing it. But anyways, you brought the company out of bankruptcy. And along with it, what I think is extremely impressive is you brought along the 75 years of history. I believe that Ebony started back in, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm blanking on the year, but 19, maybe 40, 45, 45. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's just a ton of, of history that came along with you bringing that company out of bankruptcy. So how are you honoring the history of the company while also adding a fresh new spin And who is your target audience? Has it shifted stayed the same? Yeah, no, I have to say, I think like so many, when say March of 2020 happened and we all thought, oh, I can shelter in place for two weeks. Like that's an easy thing to do. (laughs) And then obviously as the world continued to shift with what COVID-19 and the pandemic did, If you would have told me when we went in that I would, through that process, convince my family that we should go out and buy a company out of bankruptcy, which is a conversation all on its own, but also to diversify our family's portfolio into media. Our core business has been restaurants. We've been fortunate enough to expand into the beverage sector as being a bottler and distributor of Coca-Cola products, both in the U.S. and Canada. So naturally, you know, that connection of media just seems like a perfect fit. But it really is, for most, like completely left field. But we like to say that for us, we are in the people business. We just so happen to do internet being restaurants, beverage, and now media, which obviously services people with information and hopefully resources. So that's where for us, although it's a new industry, it's a new opportunity, it really does fit in line with kind of what our family business is about. And for me, it really, when I look at 75 years of chronicling, not only the African-American community and showing you know, the stars and and the heroes within the community, but also it really did chronicle American history. There's Mm -hmm. stories, there's information, there's highlights of what was happening each month when you look at Ebony, but then also with Jet, it being a weekly publication. Um, We like to say Jet was social media before social media even existed because you got that quick information of who, what, when, where, and why through Jet. So for where I sit now, it's honoring those 75 years of history, but also a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't. Those stories of being able to show African-Americans excellence and being able to highlight those unsung heroes. And for those who say that, because I saw it in Ebony, because I saw it in Jet, I knew that now I could be X, Y, and Z. So for me, it's taking those principles of what the brand stood for and now making it relevant for modern times. And relevant meaning 
using the mediums that we have at our disposal in order to communicate to the community that not only is represented, but also the people that love the community or the culture that we are engaging with, but also the idea that anyone can be part of this journey. So when we are building out our strategies, we not only want it to be a digital platform, a 24-7, you know, always on engaging, but also what are the resources, the partnerships, the spaces that maybe previous ownership weren't able to yet move the brand in, but through our business acumen, now we will be able to do. So everyone talks about the metaverse and cryptocurrency. You'll see the brands engaging in that experiential. And and we just sit on so much history that we can bring to Mm -hmm. life. So my team, we're, we're quite giddy, I would say, on being able to bring those brands to new ways that people had never engaged with them before. That is really impressive. And you are leading through a big time of change. And I think that Audra and I talk to students about that all the time. So it sounds like, you know, honoring the past and shifting to the future. That's uh, some impressive work that I think we all can learn from. Eden, I'm so curious about shifting to the future and thinking about your target audience being an audience that maybe is engaging with social media. You know, 75 years ago with Ebony and Jet, that wasn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And Ebony now has a, a strong online presence and over, when I looked um, before the interview, over a million Instagram followers, which is a lot of people that are <laughs> keeping track of what y'all are doing. So, you know, your background is in marketing. You shared with us your work at Mana. And so, that I'm sure has informed your role in Ebony and Jet and thinking about how to rebuild the organization and engage in different types of platforms. But you also mentioned, you know, this team of people that was giddy, you said, to, you know, just be a part of this and change things. So how did you identify your team to help you successfully rebuild the organization and think about all these new ways to engage with your audience? Yeah, you know, we've been quite fortunate that people have grown up with Ebony and Jet in such a way that it's almost like a family member to people. You know, it it, it means that much. I love to tell this story because it shows the brand love that people have, which has helped us attract the necessary talent in order to formulate a team that not only, yes, there there are, say, a job description that we need you to be able to do, but for us, we say that this is much more than a job. You have to have a fundamental understanding of the vision and mission of what the company is trying to do in order to be part of the team that is going to rebuild this. So the story I, I'm referencing is that in the very beginning of ownership, we were on a Zoom call with this wonderful marketing firm as we were identifying who needs to be full-time, what can we contract out? Because we look at this as a 75-year startup. So anyone who started a company can understand trying not to spend too much on labor, but obviously meaning core individuals that are employed by you in order to facilitate certain things as part of your strategy. 
So we were on this Zoom with this marketing firm kind of evaluating their services. And one of the intros as you go around and you kind of say who's on the call, one of their team members was this wonderful young woman who had an Ebony magazine behind her. And I was like, oh, she's very smart. You know, yeah, have our brand, you know, showcased already. But she let us know that, you know, yes, I knew I was going to be on the phone with you all, but I need you to understand how excited I was to talk with you all. And it's because that magazine that she had behind her, her grandfather had written in one of the writing contests that the magazine used to have, and he won. And he was able to take the winnings, which was a automobile and trade that in for a certain amount of money that then he was able to use in order to buy her family's first home. And she said, because of the brand, my grandfather winning that contest, our family's entire trajectory changed by that home ownership. So we understand the level of passion and purpose around what we're trying to do. And attracting talent has been much easier because people do have that love for seeing these brands come back and be a leader the way they once were before. Eden, that is such a powerful story. Really, really interesting. In addition to the team that you are working on building, I'm also interested in some of the strategic partnerships. So you've mentioned some of actually several different partnerships already you also have established partnerships with Bloomberg Media and Harper One, and have collaborated on articles, videos, and books, just to name a few. How did you identify these strategic partnerships as you've gone along? Yeah, so I have to say our CEO, which we knew when we took over, we needed someone who understood media. We obviously understand business, but there are certain nuances within this industry that we needed someone at the helm kind of guiding this through. So our CEO, Michelle G, with her over 20 plus years of knowledge and and such working within the, the industry, the relationships that we were able to leverage that she's developed over the years, that's where you're seeing Bloomberg and PNG and others quickly already partner with us. That was kind of her strength. The secondary has been people want to see Ebony succeed, as well as people want to talk to this audience. You look at the buying power within the African-American community, which still isn't really targeted in the way that they should be. It's still very much lumped into general kind of consumer marketing. And they felt that, hey, by partnering with Ebony should then in return be able to target this particular entity. So for Ebony, we say the Target audience is between 25 on up, usually kind of tapering off 54. You still have a little bit of brand love exceeding 54, but it really is that 25 to 54. And then Jet, when we bring that back online, we'll hit that millennial, we'll hit that Gen Z and possibly even younger as I feel like I've heard some terminology of those even younger already being coined. But when we look at our partners, those that maybe we just don't have a relationship with, we really, you know, let them know that 
you can't just want to partner with us to target this community. You know, who's sitting on your board? Do you have diverse relationships? Do you have marketing already that fits in with this target? You're not going to just want to tap in, but not really provide resources, be that true partner. So we really evaluate everyone that we attach this brand to because again, it goes back to that brand love in that almost family member that people associate Ebony and Jet with. We have to steward those relationships in a way that we're not called out by saying, how could you attach Ebony or Jet to a brand like X who goes completely against what we stand for and and is not going to, we say, fuel our community in the necessary way that it should by, by being a partner of ours. I love that. And you're mentioned several times family aspect and you're, you've built a, a team that's focused on family team to promote everything that is so wonderful about the brand. Is there any partnership or collaboration that you have found to be particularly successful in the, in the rebuilding? You've mentioned several. I didn't know if one stood out in your mind. I wouldn't say that one is more than the other when you're trying to a rebuild, because unfortunately the brand over time just had some missteps. So from our standpoint, there's partnerships and kind of writing wrongs that we felt we had to make sure we did as far as understanding, you know, for writers and, and writing the wrongs of of what happened, you know, previous to our ownership to even some of the brands that did want to, or did invest into Ebony, into Jet and didn't see that return. So it's not just what we expect from our partners, but also making sure that if we're going to ask a lot of them, that we can be that partner on our side. So I wouldn't say that it's been one or the other, I'd say it's, it's really, it takes such a diverse group of partners. As we say, we, we have to be completely digital. We have to lead with data. We have to lead with technology and finding those partners that understand that, that give us grace in the beginning of this process has, has been key. Eden, I'm just so in awe of all of the things that you all are doing. I mean, you're, you're being innovative, you're thinking about new technologies, about reaching new audiences, but you're also at your core focused on building these powerful relationships that are deeply rooted in the mission and values and history of Ebony and Jet. And and I think that that is such a wonderful lesson, particularly in healthcare or in other industries, you know, thinking about how you form relationships that share a common mission and that aren't just kind of the the shiny dollar, shiny, shiny coin, but really are ones that you can, you can work together to really improve um, the communities where you're living and, and audiences that you want to serve. I think it's just wonderful what you all are doing. And, and in addition to (laughs) being, the chief marketing officer at MANA and working at Ebony and Jet, you also are really busy in your philanthropic life as well. I really don't know how you do all of this, but you are using 
your relationships in a different way as a, a board member and the program director for the Bridgman Charitable Group, uh, which produces the Trafecta, which is a, a black tie celebrity charity event in Louisville, Kentucky around Derby. And we all laugh. I'm sure you feel this way too, that when I'm somewhere outside of Louisville and say that I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, everyone says, oh yeah, that's where the Derby is. You know, that's kind of our claim mm-hmm. to fame. So can you tell us a little bit about the event that you all created, maybe how it came about, but also how you're leveraging your relationships and other aspects of your professional and personal life to really improve the communities that you're living in. And all of this is is focused on supporting particular charities. So I think it's just a wonderful blend of for you of, of how you're you're using your network to really improve your philanthropic work as well. Yeah, I, I would say the genesis of it all, I have to point is towards my parents, the values in everything from how they raised my my siblings and I'm the youngest of three with two older brothers that, you know, for where my parents started in life, both from extremely humble means and the blessings, you know, we're a faith-based family as well as All of our companies have kind of those Christian values woven into them. So the idea of giving back, the idea of service is deeply rooted within our family, within our family business. So the idea of showing up during usually not a time frame that people would think, oh, this is a perfect time to raise money for charity, you know, during the Kentucky Derby, which is where people are focused on the fashion, the obviously iconic, you know, the most important two minutes in, in sports as, you know, Churchill Downs has been able to continue over, I think this is the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby. So for us, it, it really started in the early 2000s where my parents being that they were blessed to attend some of the iconic Derby events, some of the other charitable events, they noticed a missing piece, which was there wasn't enough diversity happening when you're bringing in these various celebrities and who was actually putting on these charitable events. They weren't people that looked like them and they felt, well, that's not the way this should be. When you think of the history of the Kentucky Derby, that the first, you know, Kentucky Derby winner, as far as a jockey, was an African American. And, and, you know, I think the first was it 15 out of 18 or so were African American jockeys. So, you know, we've been part of this tradition from the very beginning. But when you look at certain roles within it, we haven't been able to show up the way that we should. So they started the Derby Grand Gala with some other prominent families in Louisville. African-American families in Louisville in the early 2000s. And they brought in, you name it, from Michael McDonald to Patti LaBelle, Nellie, and Jackson 5. I mean, you just just kind of name it has been able to come in and grace the stage from an entertainment standpoint. But it all, again, was rooted in giving back. And so over the course of that journey, My siblings and I got to see the power of bringing people together for fun, but also making sure that we we gave back to the community. So in 2017, we 
rebranded it the trifecta since there's three of us. Although I kind of take the lead on planning and, and my brothers kind of support my my overarching vision for what we should do each year. And we really just try to bring people together for various causes centered around education, cancer research, and various other important causes that we felt, hey, this is such an opportunity. There's so much tension on our city. Why not also bring attention to worthy organizations and causes that we can raise significant dollars for. So that's the genesis and in, in what we try to do each year. I love that. And I had no idea, even though I've known you all for years, that the trifecta was renamed for uh, the three of you all. I feel like you should come up. For those of you all who don't know what a trifecta is, if you're not in horse racing, that is a name for a bet when you have a win place and show or first, second, and third. So even maybe you're the win and you could give. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I tell, I I like to say my brothers, it's funny because they, they love, you know, what we do, but I definitely am the, the operator of it. So I like to say that they're my show ponies that I get to bring out to have them parade around during the events and, and such that we do Derby weekend. And then, you know, I can put them out to pasture until the next, the next race. That's perfect. Definitely. I am their <laughs> big, big little sister for this. And I like to say a lot of things within our family. Oh, I love it. That's great. You, you mentioned a couple of charities, education and cancer research and different things, but I'm curious about how you determine which charities are going to be beneficiaries um, from year to year? Do they stay the same or do they change based on just the evolving needs of the community or how do you all determine that? It does change. It hasn't been the same charities since the beginning. A needs and, and such change. Our family just like life happens to all of us where even not that we weren't supporters of cancer research before, but maybe more individual versus a collective determination for using this time frame to shine the light on. But in life, as far as the tragedies that we all face, unfortunately, in recent time, we've had family members, and we say family kind of loosely, Our family is large, yes, by blood, but also those that we've kind of adopted within our family that maybe isn't blood related. So family members for us who have been affected by cancer, who have sadly passed away, that has been where we have wanted to include that as a pillar of where funds as well as just general awareness of organizations that are doing amazing work that maybe aren't given the the light or the shine that they should, or even those that are kind of leaders within the nonprofit space, whether it's education, cancer research, or other things that we have given money towards as far as access to food and, and, you know, being in the restaurant business, we very much understand food deserts and, and trying to close those gaps on access to food. So for us, it's, it's really, it really is personal for the charities that we decide to choose. We don't want it to just be a transaction. We want to hopefully engage with them as much as we can, not just during the Derby weekend or festivities, but also, are there other opportunities through the year 
that we can use our platform to help raise as much money and, and, and create as much impact within the communities, both in Louisville, but also nationally, that, that we can through those type of partners. Eden, I've loved hearing about your family and how you lead by example and how service is deeply rooted in all aspects of your businesses and then in charities that you partner with and who you give back to. It's just very impressive. I talk to students and I know Audra does as well about different leadership styles all the time. And it just really, I was recently talking about servant leadership and just really resonates with that. And I think it's really impressive work. Shifting gears a little bit, I would say you have more than a lot of professional responsibility. (laughs) A ton. (laughs) And I know we keep saying that, but you really do. Um, And I'm in awe of that. But you're also juggling being a new mom. We were talking about that briefly before we started recording. So Who has served as a good mentor or source of support for you in that role, which is, as we all know, a very important role? And I guess as a follow-up, well, I'll ask you that in a second. I'll let you. (laughs) Another question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another kind of change that happened during the pandemic was uh, my husband and I were blessed with becoming parents for the first time, having a 10-month-old baby is just beyond wild because I think like all mothers, you know, it's like, where did the time go? Lincoln, I feel like she's going to be sitting there talking to me where I remember just her first day, her, you know, just, just every kind of moment. But as far as answering your question and support who has, I mean, blessed with a mother who can provide that support necessary through this journey, I have to say, I've told her I'm so sorry so much because I had no idea the things that she went through. I'm the third. So I'm like, what, there were two ahead of me. Like, how did you do that? I mean, it's just wild. The things that I now, my, my mind is just blown on all that she did with, with such grace and, and such love that I had no idea, you know, the idea of, but you were always clean. Like, how did you have time to take a shower? Like I'm struggling just to find a moment to take a shower in my day. And and it's just, you know, that humbling that motherhood can do to you. So I, I would first say my mother is being such a pillar. And then I've been very blessed to have that village. And so there isn't just one person, you know, that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm blessed with women that whether they are also new moms themselves, that may be a month ahead of me, but even in that month, the wisdom that they're able to give me by being just that step of like, Hey, FYI, it does get better or nope, this aspect of motherhood it is challenging and it's okay. I'm right here with you too. Yes. Those that are seasons ahead of me, maybe their kids are grown and, and their grandparents or whatever it might be. So for me, I'd say I'm only able to do the things because of the support system that I've built around being a new mom and trying to give myself grace on knowing that I just don't know. And it's okay. That's pretty common to just say, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do when find somebody who can pour into me in this, this season, 
that I'm in in each step of the way. Um, I think so many, especially women, we we nowadays, you know, because of social media, we have to look perfect and we have to, you know, have the cookies already baked at home and ready for the kids when they, you know, there's so many things that we were, were pressured into feeling that we need to do and do it at such a level that for me, it's, it's really surrounding myself with people that allow me to, to kind of crumble and it be okay that they're there to help me put the pieces back together and not feel like that mom guilt. I don't have it all. So for me, it's, it's yes, my mother and in such, but it's a whole village that has been able to wrap their arms around our young family and get us through each day. Eden, I love that. And, you know, I think what you're describing sounds like just finding authenticity in your relationships and beauty and imperfection. And I think that parenthood is such a great way (laughs) to, to understand the value of that. And I know Emily and I, as we have embarked on this journey of the podcast, authenticity is, is so wonderful for, for us, you know, I can call her and say, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't do this today because I have, you know, somebody throwing up at home or (laughs) whatever it may be. Yeah. But but you just break down so many barriers. And I think that's a wonderful gift really with motherhood is just appreciating, you know, everyone for who they are and and bringing their whole selves to the table, which is so beautiful, really. Yeah. And I think, you know, if there's, I, I, I feel like it's been such a humbling yes in the sense of the idea of just what motherhood comes with and, you know, trying to find myself post birthing this beautiful baby. And all of a sudden now I have this hat called mom and I don't know what that means really, but society is telling me what this is. And I don't know if I necessarily like that um, job description. So trying to write it myself, but also, you know, trying to keep the the fire alive between my, my husband and I is sleep deprivation and, you know, smelling like breast milk all the time and, you know, just, just, just the things that come with it. But also I think the humbling aspect is the, almost lack of grace I gave other women prior to being a mother. You know, one, you just didn't realize what they were going through and, and all the challenges that they were where, what do you mean you have to cancel, you know, just because the babysitter finds somebody else to, you know, take care of your child so that we can go have drinks and or whatever it might've been. So for me, it's, it's, it's also going to the women that were in this season ahead of me and just saying, man, I had no idea. And if there was ever any time that I made your life difficult, just know I am truly sorry, you know, because there were just so many things I think I, I probably passed judgment on just because I didn't realize what all it takes to be a mom, whether you were fortunate enough to be able to carry a baby. Maybe it's through surrogacy, maybe it's through adoption or, or whatever the ways that now you have the title of, of mom. I think that it's, it's being able to also understand, you know, and go to those people and lift them up in a way of those past judgments that you might've passed towards them. 
I love that, Eden. And I, I'm sitting here, you know, kind of laughing to myself. Audra and I both having all daughters uh, will tell you that you'll blink once and she'll be talking and you're going to blink again and she's going to be talking back. So (laughs) I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. It just goes so quickly, but I think you're so, you're, you're so right that it just, it takes a village and the fact that you already appreciate that and have your village around you is, is phenomenal. So with all that's going on in your life, how do you recharge? This is always something Audra and I are very interested in. Mainly because we need to learn. (laughs) We need to learn it. And I think, you know, it's, I probably have not succeeded in this area well, just because it is that balance on when do I have a moment and giving myself grace that it may have to change each day, each week, what it means to rest, what it means to have self-care. But it's also making sure that I do have potential outlets. So for me, it is, I, I go and I sit on someone's couch because for me, I need someone that I don't know. I don't when I leave that kind of therapy session, I am not going to run into you. I'm not having to do life with you. I can be, as you all have already said, the most raw and authentic Eden in that therapy session. And so for me, it really has been finding someone that I can, can cry. I can scream. I can laugh. I can bounce the weights of, of my life with that isn't also part of my life on a daily basis. So it's not a friend, it's not a family member or a coworker or anything like that. So for me, it's really been kind of having that, that therapy, but also it is the idea of finding out what is it that I can find enjoyment in. So sometimes it's, you know, talking with my husband and saying, Hey, on Thursday night, I need to light a bunch of candles and I'm going to take a bath and just have that 30 minutes and, and being able to communicate to him what it is that I need versus just expecting it to miraculously happen that I'm going to have 30 minutes to take that wonderful bubble bath, or it's, you know, my quiet time, you know, whether it's pumping in the middle of the night or in the morning and saying, I set my little stand up. And even if it's only 20 minutes of me reading a book, I got 20 minutes of it. And I can find the wins in those moments versus feeling like I need this huge routine. And, and if I get off of it, see, I'm already failing at it, but finding those individual little wins that I can kind of prop myself up on has been the way that I find sanity in such an insane kind of time in my life. That is such a a wonderful response. And I think that that's such a, it's a great takeaway for whether or not you're a mother or a woman or a, you know, whatever you're doing, just finding sanity in insanity, I think is a really just great thing to remember and, and to give yourself grace. So I, I love just everything that you've said, the whole interview. I feel like I've learned so much about so many different things and we're just so thrilled that you were able to spend time with us today. We like to end our podcast with 
a set of rapid fire questions that we ask every single guest. And these are just a couple word responses. So first thing that comes to mind, you don't have to go into a ton of detail, but our first question is what is your favorite leadership quote or book? I would say that my I can't say a book. I would tell you an author because I love all that he has written, but it's Malcolm Gladwell. So Malcolm Gladwell's Outlier, David and Goliath, The Tipping Point, and so forth. Yes, he is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. All right. Question number two. What is one thing on your wish list for or related to healthcare? So something you would like to be discovered or changed, et cetera? I think just more access for mental health and what does that really mean to have that as a priority for all the way we do our annual checkup internally, but there should be an annual focus as well for, you know, mental health. Absolutely. Emily and I, we we both work in pediatrics and we talk about that all the time in the context of kids and the pandemic and the need to bring more attention to that. So I love that answer. Mm-hmm. Our final question is about lifelong learning. So Emily and I believe in the value of lifelong learning. That's where this whole podcast originated from the idea that we, we all have something that we can share and, and all have opportunities to learn. So if you could learn anything new, what would it be? I would love to learn how to code. I feel like that is such a, when anyone has that, I'm like, oh, how do you do that? Like, it feels like very matrix type of, you know, skill. And so for me, I would really love to learn how to code. That's awesome. I I don't think we've had that response. So maybe I need to learn along with you. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems so, I don't know, just so like you can build this whole, you know, online technology and such, and it's all just built upon that. And that's why Mm -hmm. you see even you know, people making a ton of money with that skill set. So I'm like, maybe I need to learn that just to add in and my, my offerings to the world. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Eden. We loved learning from you today and just loved hearing about all the things that you do. You are a busy lady and, and we're grateful for your time. No, thank you both. This was so much fun. Emily, Eden's professional role, really her many roles, brought up a lot of interesting points ranging from honoring the past and looking to the future, to personal values, to the importance of self-care. I honestly don't know where to begin and I don't know how she does it all. (laughs) I thought we were busy, but Eden balances a lot. I was particularly intrigued by her role as owner of Ebony and Jet. You know, Eden and her family brought the company out of bankruptcy. And as we mentioned, 75 years of history came along with that. She said that Jet was social media before social media existed. And she was tasked with honoring history, but also continuing to show African-American excellence, highlight unsung heroes, and making the brand relevant for modern times. That does not seem like an easy job to me. Audra, Eden does balance a lot. And on a side note, I'm sitting here looking at my notepad that you gave me with the title, Tired as a Mother, that I I use every week to write out what's going on in our house and with all of our 
crazy schedules. And I'm just curious what Eden's tired as a mother weekly <laughs> planner would look like, given okay. all that we heard her talk about today uh, in the podcast. <laughs> but on a more serious note, we are often asked to do this in healthcare, right? The idea of understanding future consumers. The consumers of Ebony and Jet are different than they were 75 years ago, just like healthcare consumers are different than they were 75 years ago. Think about it. Consumers used to be more passive in their participation in healthcare, really relying on the healthcare provider. And now consumers show up with their own list of diagnoses and where they want to go for second opinions and care. We as healthcare providers have to understand and adapt to this new type of consumer engagement. And Emily, don't you think that's a good thing? I think that engaged consumers lead to better quality care. I read an article a couple of years ago by Denser that called this type of engagement the blockbuster drug of the 21st century. And just like Eden is working to engage her modern consumers, we have to do that as healthcare providers as well. I think another really important point that she reminded us of is the importance of honoring the historical roots of both our professions and our patients. Just like she's being charged to do that with Ebony and Jet, I think it is really crucial that we spend time thinking about how the past has influenced concepts and relationships and how we use that to advance healthcare. Absolutely. I don't think you could have said that better. Another important point that Eden brought up was the importance of her team. She mentioned that many people she works with have grown up with the company, with Ebony and Jet, and that they feel like family members. And to her, the job is more than a job. And with that comes a team member's fundamental understanding of what the company is trying to do. I think we talk about teams a lot on this podcast. And so often (laughs) we focus on the interprofessional components. I feel like that's second nature for us, right? We talk about how each member of the team brings different gifts. The gifts complement each other. You know where I'm going with all this. (laughs) Talk about it a lot. But, you know, Eden reminded us that we have to have this fundamental understanding of what is it that we're trying to do? That really is the foundation of a team. And I don't know that we ask that enough as healthcare team members. You know, what is our overall goal? What is it that we try to do every single day? I think that is the glue and often a missing link. And I think she further emphasized this point when she talked about identifying potential partners. Eden said she tells collaborators that they can't just partner because they want to target a specific audience. Eden and her team make sure the potential partner is aligned with their company. And sometimes that means they have to ask really hard questions. Absolutely. And, you know, we focus on collaboration and partnerships, and we talk about that all the time in healthcare. But just like Eden brought up, And just like with teams, we have to make sure that our goals are aligned with our partners. And, you know, you you can't have one without the other. It's just like if we said we wanted patient-centered care, but we didn't think about social determinants of health or diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of those concepts really have to be linked. Speaking of links, Eden brought up how her philanthropy work is also focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
you know, Audra, you and I are here in Kentucky. The Kentucky Derby is a big deal. And Eden's family felt strongly that there wasn't much diversity seen during the Kentucky Derby events. And so they set out to do something about it. They created events that were rooted in giving back, that bring people together, and perhaps more importantly, honor the diversity of the community. Although the charities may change, Eden's values remain the same. Eden really brought up so many great points and linked many concepts in healthcare to her world and business. I think that one of the things that I really needed to hear was just the power of authenticity and bringing our whole selves, even if that means our messy situations and life challenges. I'm so guilty of this. You know, life experiences certainly bring humility. And I talk about this with you all the time, Emily, but I've written, you know, all these articles and books about childhood nutrition. And most days at dinner, I feel like a total failure as a parent. In fact, the other day, you'll love this story. I I don't remember what I cooked, but I thought it was really good. And so I just announced at the dinner table that I thought I was a really good cook. And my nine-year-old, who is just getting sassier by the day, told me she would not know if I was a good cook because she does not eat my cooking, which is pretty much the truth. And so, you know, I think that sharing that and saying, you know, all right, this is what you should, maybe should do, but this is really how my life is. So I can relate to the whole spectrum really adds value to our work. And and I think, you know, not being afraid of, of sharing those experiences is important. And in my professional life, when I get frustrated when someone doesn't do their work, uh, you know, I don't know why they didn't do their work. I don't know what's going on at home. I don't know what they may be struggling with. And in healthcare, we talk about caring for the whole person. And I think that it's really important to remember to take that approach with our colleagues and team members, like Eden mentioned as well. You know, life is messy. It takes a village. Thank goodness you're part of my village, Emily. (laughs) And it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. I tell my four-year-old who tells me she can do everything by herself that sometimes it's okay to stop and ask for help. (laughs) And so, again, underscoring your point, parenting... uh, definitely is uh, humbling. And, you know, we talk about parenting a lot, I feel like on our podcast. And I loved that Eden was speaking our language when she said that it was humbling for her when she became a mom. She reflected back on the lack of grace that she gave other women prior to being a mother. And it was just such a good reminder in a world that is often driven by success and perfection to honor everyone's stories and backgrounds and to not judge a book by its cover and to lift people up, how important that really is. Absolutely. Yeah. I think giving yourself grace when you're trying to do it all, like so many of our students and colleagues are trying to do, like you and I often try to do, I think it's maybe one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself. And It's at the core of self-care. Eden did say that she likes to find enjoyment in little wins. And so I'm going to rapid fire question you, Emily, and ask what your little win was for this week. Oh, great. Okay. Well, don't laugh. Uh, (laughs) I'm already laughing. (laughs) Off the top of my head, you know that I am 
not, one of my strengths is not cooking. My husband does a lot of the cooking and thank goodness he's a, he is a great chef. But anyways, I made lunch this week (laughs) that all of my kids seem to genuinely enjoy. We had a busy morning and I was trying to get everyone fed and onto the next activity. And I made a quick breakfast for lunch. You can never go wrong with breakfast. That's always a win. Any, Any time of the day. And they all devoured it. And Audra, for me, this was a huge win. <laughs> what about you, Audra? What I'm so was proud of win? you. Let's see. I don't know what my little win would be. I'll stay on the same theme. So I, a couple of days ago, bought an entire box of peaches, like a 25-pound box of peaches. And then the problem, you know, was that I realized I had an entire box of peaches that needed to be eaten very quickly. There are peaches all over our kitchen counter. I should have probably dropped some off at your house for Chris to use. (laughs) But I planned a, a Sunday supper that was all peach everything. And it was a lot of work. But I also find shopping and cooking a form of self care and even meditation really. So I I loved it and I absolutely love feeding people. So that was a good win. And another win, I have two. I passed my pronunciation section on Rosetta Stone after only three tries, which is a new record for me. You know my struggles with that. (laughs) Way to go. Great job. (laughs) I'm very proud of you. The peach dinner would not have been a win for me. (laughs) I'm sure we'd have just been eating cut up peaches. But anyways, (laughs) from modern consumers to how to chop peaches for self-care, this podcast isn't about healthcare. <laughs> it's about celebrating the little wins and and also how we learn from others to make healthcare better. Thanks so much for learning with us. Rise with Emily and Audra was produced with Resonate Recordings. The original song Rise was composed and performed by Alex Crum. This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise This really shouldn't come as a surprise Knock us down a thousand times In the mornings we will rise Okay Shouldn't come as a surprise Cause every morning we will rise